Well, brothers and sisters, if you will, remain standing and open your Bibles to Luke 18. Luke 18. And we are coming uh, closely to the end of the parable or of the exchange between Jesus and the rich young ruler. Let's ask for the Lord's blessing upon us and read the text. Now, our Father, we gather to, Lord, be blessed by you. And you have already blessed us this morning. You have already begun to wash us and cleanse us of our sins, to fill our minds with loving adoration. And so now we ask, O Lord, that you would come now to this text, to this word. Lord, this interchange between Jesus and this rich young ruler. Help us, O Lord. Help us to understand the the great depression that comes to all that reject and turn away from Christ. Help us, O Lord, as, as Christians to appreciate what we have in our Savior, our vine, our blessed God and King. Help us, O Lord. Fill our minds with that confident assurance that his love for us is real and true. And, O Father, if there is anyone here that, Lord, sees this worldly sorrow in their lives, O come by your Spirit, and, Lord, save them. Fill them, move in their hearts, O God, to express faith in Christ. Lord, and even us as brothers and sisters, as as believers, Lord, who might struggle with depression or struggle with, Lord, these spiritual matters, help us, Lord, overcome them in faith and by faith, Lord, to the blessed assurance that awaits all and, and is for all of God's children. In Jesus' name, amen. And beloved, I want to begin reading at verse 18, even though our focus will be on verse 24 and following. A ruler questioned him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus heard that when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when he had heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, these things that are impossible with people are possible with God. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, I have chosen to take this some time this morning to address what we see in Scripture as manifested as worldly sorrow. And I thought it would be important for us to spend a, a session on this. 
we've already at least considered the idea that there are many that find themselves in the same mode as the rich young ruler. Good people. They intend no harm to others. They seek to do good. They seek to stay in their lane, so to speak. They seek to bear their own responsibilities and yet they are foreigners to grace. They are, they are not Christians. They don't have faith in Jesus Christ. They don't possess eternal life. They've not entered into the kingdom of God. And it's not hard to understand that churches may be very full with this type of person. And so continuing to examine the reaction of the rich young ruler could benefit us if we look at it honestly and, and we're open to do what we see. It's important to recognize, I think, particularly in the world that we're living in in our time, and there is a lot of disappointment all around us. People are carrying weights and burdens and depression is real and, well, I would say epidemic. Well, how do we come to this as Christians? What are we to understand by this? How can we take this text of Scripture and just begin to understand something about this sorrow, this sadness? And that's really the question, isn't it? Because we are taught in the Bible not to lean, what, in our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him. Making sure, right, that we are trusting him, walking with him. That's what it means to walk with him, is to rest in him and to trust him for what we learn and that what we learn is good and worthy of our acceptance and application of bringing it into our lives and making application to it. As I've already stated in past messages, I believe the rich young ruler to be very sincere, very sincere. There doesn't seem to be any hypocrisy in him at all, not that we can tell from the text at all. And I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus was so fond of him and was sad when he went away. But there was something that happened in this interchange with Jesus that we need to look at. The rich young ruler really wasn't, wasn't prepared, if you will, for what he learned about himself. He wasn't prepared for it. And he didn't know what to do with it. But he does reject it. And we need to look at some of these parts. Well, you might see in the bulletin that this title of this morning's message is Worldly Sorrow, Its Causes or Its Cause and Remedy. What was it that brought about this worldly sorrow in this rich young ruler? Well, I think there are at least three things, if not four. We'll see how far we get. The first thing that I want to bring to our attention from the text this morning is that 
what brought about this sadness in the rich young ruler was what he did not receive. It's what he did not hear. It's what Jesus did not say about him. He comes anticipating that he's acknowledged Jesus as the good teacher. He comes, he prostrates himself before Jesus, recognizing that he is a a step above all the other rabbis. He's given him the accolades that he believes that Jesus deserves as a good teacher. He's sort of, he's humbled himself before this teacher, and he was expecting more than likely for Jesus to hear that he had kept these commandments from his youth that he would be received and that he would be somewhat given the assurance that he has eternal life. But Jesus doesn't do that. And this is where the crisis really begins The crisis begins when Jesus does not accept his goodness as good enough. Because there are good people in this world. But they're not going to heaven. There are people that strive to be decent and moral people, but that doesn't make them Christ lovers or Christ followers. It doesn't mean that they possess the kingdom of God. It's like the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what else may I add to my goodness? Because that's what he says. What must, what must I do? What other things can I do? Because I've already do these things. What can I add to my goodness to make sure that I inherit eternal life? And Jesus does not commend him for these things. That had to stagger the rich young ruler. I mean, Jesus says, well, this is what you still lack. And the crisis in the rich young ruler's life began by what Jesus did not do. Jesus did not commend him for his morality. Jesus did not give him all of these open accolades for his law keeping. Jesus did not in some public way acknowledge that he was among the best of men. Staggering, if you will, the rich young ruler's perception of himself. And isn't this where the crisis begins for us too? When we don't receive the things we think we deserve? Oftentimes, that's exactly how God brings to us the real revelation of who we are. This is sort of the provoking, if you will, for us to begin to take note that maybe there's something amiss. Maybe, maybe, maybe I've got it wrong, at least partially. 
No, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do the things that the rich young ruler possibly comes to Jesus to and think that he's going to do. None of that happens. And this begins this, this downward spiral of sadness in the rich young ruler's life. So, so much angst and sadness over others not thinking as highly of ourselves as we think of ourselves. Isn't that true? Why do we get upset when people disagree with us? Why do we get upset when people think certain things about us that we find possibly offensive or even, you know, something that is just not as exalted as we think? And then we begin that downward mental spiral of, well, why don't they, why, why do they not think highly of me? Do they not recognize all that I do? Now, brothers and sisters, I need to make sure you understand this because it can be confusing. I am not talking about spiritual depression that Christians do suffer from sometimes. Christians can suffer from a spiritual depression. That's, this is not this. He's not a Christian. He's not a believer. He's in the natural state. He's at war with God. He doesn't know it. He doesn't see it. He didn't recognize it when he came and threw himself before Jesus. He didn't know that he was an idolater. He didn't know these things before this encounter with Jesus. He believed himself to be a good man. The problem was, again, that common goodness that can be recognized here is, well, it's not the same thing of being recognized by God. The Bible tells us, and Luke brings this out actually, that there are those things that are highly exalted by men that are offensive to God. And a rich young ruler didn't recognize these things. He didn't know that there was a great revelation that was taking place in his life. Jesus was exposing his own heart to him in a way that had never happened before. And when Jesus did not accept him for who he thought he was, he began this crisis in his life of becoming sorrowful and sad for himself. This is that worldly sorrow that only unbelievers possess and can possess. They don't have the nurturing of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, as Christians, though you may find yourself sad at times, you have the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of God witnessing you the love of God, the compassion of God, the grace of God. You can never, ever, ever, ever be void of the Spirit of God in your life. You are in his hands, and you are in his hands forever. That's what Jesus said. You are in my hands, and my hands are in the Father's hands, and he has you. 
That's why we cannot allow this spiritual depression to take hold of us in such a way that it alters or changes us from being the brothers and sisters and the the godly men and women that we've been called to be in Christ and to exercise that joy of salvation. We're not talking about fake laughs and smiles, clowns, that's what clowns, we're not clowns. We're talking about that genuine substance of life, knowing that, well, we know who our God is. We know what our God has done. And we know what our future is going to be. We know it. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those people that want eternal life, but they don't want Jesus. They don't want to repent of their sins. They don't want to die to self. They don't want to pick up their cross. They don't want to follow after Jesus. They want to add eternal life to their other things and somehow have the false impression that they have deserved it. So, beloved, when we think about this worldly sorrow, we'll get a better impression of it if we take our Bibles and we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians 7. Second Corinthians 7 and verse 10, Paul talks about this sorrow, this worldly sorrow as opposed to godly sorrow. Again, reading at verse 9, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produce a repentance without regret leading to salvation but the sorrow of the world produces death that's the one we're talking about here we're talking about yes the rich young ruler is sad and really what the what needs to happen is someone needs to come along the side and say but wait a minute but why are you so sad not to be coddled and to go, well, we, we understand you had greater expectation about this meeting with Jesus. Ah, he didn't tell you what you wanted to hear, but I can tell you what you want to hear. You're a good man. You know how we do in one another. If anybody's going to heaven, you're going. And we've heard this before. If you've done any kind of counseling or any number of evangelism, you'll find people that says, listen, I mean, I may not be a good person, but I can tell you that this person is as good as they get. And if they're not going to heaven, nobody's going to heaven. In fact, I I would say that particularly, I think this is true of the South. Most good people are recognized as Christians. 
They don't have to go to church. They don't have to profess Jesus Christ. They don't have to know anything about Jesus other than his name. Most, most grandmas would look at this encounter with the rich young ruler and what would they say? Mm, bless his heart. Because that's what we do. We have habituated ourselves to excusing worldliness. This is not a good thing. I mean, it's, it's good from the perspective that we can look at it and learn from it and move on and make sure that we don't follow in this path. But this is not a good thing for the rich young ruler because I promise you, he came to Jesus. His life was all fine and dandy, but now there's been a revelation happened to him and he will never be the same. Never, never. He will never be the same. Every time he looks into the mirror, he's gonna think about this encounter with Jesus and he's going to go, I am not so good. I'm lacking. And I walked away from the good teacher. Oh, brothers and sisters, it's a serious thing to encounter God. It's a serious matter when God draws near to you to show you who you are and you walk away. That's not like a casual encounter. That's not like us coming and meeting some stranger in the grocery store and having a conversation and disagreeing over politics and moving on. This is life-changing. This is conscience-piercing. These are the things the conscience brings up forever afterwards. You can imagine how loud that voice will be on judgment day for the rich young ruler. Now his life has changed at this point. So it's not this, this sadness, this worldly sorrow. Remember, listen, he's not accepting what, what was revealed about himself. He does not want to accept that. So it's not, again, first thing, it starts by what Jesus did not do, did not say. He didn't accept him. He didn't take him as he was. Secondly, well, let me, let me follow up on this because there are many, many others in the scriptures that I want to put as an impression upon you that exhibited this, God, this godless sorrow. Let me give these personalities to you. First one's Cain. Let me remind you that Cain murdered his brother. And when God came to render judgment and for him to bear his responsibility, the, this, this, this sorrowfulness that he demonstrated was not for the murdering of his brother. He says, Lord, how can I bear this treatment? Who can bear this? I can't bear this, this, uh, this being cast out. Look what he did. Well, who is the focus? Well, look at what this, this godless sorrow does. It's just a focus about self. Cain wasn't led to repentance. 
All he did was focus on himself. There's another one, Esau. Esau sells his birthright because he's a lustful man. His cravings sort of command his attention, whatever his craving is at the time. Well, that's what he does. Well, after he loses his birthright, he then, well, Hebrews tells us he cried tears over it. But it wasn't in tears of repentance. It was just tears that I don't have my birthright anymore. I sold it to get what I wanted at the moment, but now I want it back. Woe is me. So that's two. Let me give you a third one. Judas. You know, Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Judas goes, he makes a deal with the Pharisees. He says, I'll point him out to you. I'll identify him. You'll watch me walk up to him and I'm gonna kiss his cheek and that's the man. And I'll do it for the price of a slave. 30 pieces of silver. Well, he did. He got what he wanted. But then he felt guilty about it. But it wasn't godly sorrow. It was a worldly sorrow. It was they felt bad. And listen, the world's full of guilt, but not the right kind. It's not a guilt that leads to faith in Christ, belief in God, faith faith that comes through repentance of sin. It's not that kind of guilt. It's just this guilt that I just don't get my way. Oh, woe is me. And what does Judas do? He runs in and he feels guilty about it. And he he says, listen, I betrayed an innocent man. And what did the Pharisees do? Laughed at him. Deserved it. (laughs) Why do we care that you feel guilty? And he throws the silver back at him. He went away and hung himself. He committed suicide because of the depth of his godlessness and depression. Let's look at another feature of the rich young ruler's sorrow. So we see that's what Jesus didn't do, but secondly, it's what Jesus did do. It's what Jesus told him. Jesus expressed to him what he needed to do. Well, here's what you like, right? Go, go, and sell all your possessions, distribute them to the poor, and then come and follow me. Well, Jesus had put his finger upon the idol of his heart. He was, a, he was exposing the idolatry and the, the love and the trust that the rich young ruler had for his riches. He, was, he worshiped gold and silver, if you will. That was his God. That was his trust. And Jesus put his finger on it. He said, well, now you've got to confess this God. You've got to get rid of this God. You've got to deny yourself, and you need to pick up your cross, and you need to come follow me. So it's what Jesus also told him, that, the, that they just spiraled the rich young ruler into this sadness. 
That's not what he wanted to hear. Remember, he goes to Jesus and he wants addition. He says, what can I add to my life? Not take away. Isn't this the contemporary gospel, my brothers and sisters? We don't want to give up anything. We don't want to give up all of our pleasures. We just want to add something else so that we can feel good about what we do. And that's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, listen, you have to, if you want to come after me, you have to die to self. Hey, your old man has to go away. Jess has to die. The old Jess has to die and be remade as a new creation. And the new created Jess has to pick up the cross. He has to identify with Jesus. There's no, sin, there's no way, brothers and sisters, that a Christian can be a Christian if they don't identify with their Christ. We all want it too convenient. Now, again, I know, look, I'm not talking to unbelievers there, but certainly unbelievers want it convenient. But even us Christians, we fall into these things. Ah, you know, I know we just need it. If it's inconvenient, I don't want to really do it. And we think, well, you know, look, and I, brothers and sisters, I can tell you, and I lament over this, and I'm confessing to you as a pastor, I've heard it too many times. Well, pastor, what's the least I can do to be a member of a church? What's the least I can do? There's something wrong with that question. It's like, you know what? Here, here's the thing. Uh, okay, I want eternal life, but can I get there by the skin of my teeth? I, I mean, I want to get in, but as long as I barely get in, I'm in. There's something ungodly about that mentality. Jesus lays before him the beautiful, wonderful kingdom of God, eternal life. And he says, yeah, repent of your idolatry. Repent of your service of other, of another God. Acknowledge me as the true and living God and Confess your sins and I will forgive you and receive you and come follow me and you'll have everlasting life. That's not what he heard. He didn't want to hear that. What he heard in Jesus' words was, that's too costly. That's, no, no. He wasn't prepared for that answer that Jesus gave him. He thought he was fine. He had never been challenged like this before. And I believe this was the first time in his life that anyone had ever loved him and told him the truth about himself. And now he's got, now there's this crisis. His whole world has just crumbled before him. And the Bible tells us that he was not just sad, beloved. He was very sad. 
He was dejected. He's walking away. And the Greek tells us that Jesus is following him with his eyes and that Jesus turns to his disciples and says, I tell you, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to come to the kingdom of God. Jesus brings up a common everyday proverb to his disciples. He bring, the point being that when, when, a, when someone with so many things, what's, what's the temptation for a lost rich man to put his trust in his riches, his identity? To applaud his own achievements. I mean, look, it's hard work oftentimes to achieve so much wealth and all of these things. I mean, they get up early, they go to bed late, all of these things that it takes to accomplish these things. And therefore, it's so easy for pride to grow up in their hearts. It is so easy for them to say, look what I have done. And that pride dies so hard. So hard. I mean, it can be intellect, it can be, it's a number of things that we, we, we look at and we go, yeah, that's me, this is what I've done. And Jesus is reckoning, look, you know what a proverb is? Proverbs is just a common daily saying that people use in order to highlight certain observations or experiences. Kay and I were talking this morning and one of the proverbs we brought up is you can, well, lead a horse to water, but you can't what? Make them drink. That's a proverb. That's just a modern-day proverb. Jesus brings up a proverb in order to highlight the struggle the rich young ruler is having. He can't die to himself. His pride is too large. His arrogance is too big. He didn't think that when he encountered Jesus, but now he knows. Now he knows that revelation of himself, the idolatry, the trust, the worship of gold and silver. He didn't know that going into this interaction with Jesus, but now he knows that he's not willing, he's not willing to give up the gold and silver. Now listen, beloved, for treasure in heaven isn't that what Jesus told him? You want treasure in heaven? You've stored up all of this treasure on earth, but you want treasure in heaven? Go sell what you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Giving the rich young ruler an eternal perspective. You want the streets of gold? You want the mansion in eternity? You want to be a possessor, an inheritor of the world? That's what the scriptures talk about. The meek shall what? Inherit the what? The earth. You got to do these things. You got to repent of your idolatry. So that's number two. Number three. 
another contributing factor to his depression, his sadness, was not just what Jesus didn't do or what Jesus said to him, but it's his reaction to what Jesus didn't do and Jesus said to him. What does the text tell us? The text tells us that when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. He walks away. He denies Jesus. He rejects him. He turns away from him. He leaves the only one that can save him. Contributing to the depth and the strength of his own depression and sorrow. Now, brothers and sisters, he's not passive in this. Yes, it's passive. Yeah, I mean, he didn't, you know, he didn't receive, he was in the receptive part of receiving what Jesus is saying, but now he's in the active portion of it. I won't accept it. I reject it. I'm turning away and I'm walking away from Christ. And there are millions of people in this state. They, they make videos about it. Oh, yeah, I used to go to church. I, but, you know, I don't like being preached to. You know, I don't like preachers telling me I need to repent of my sin. I don't like preachers acknowledging, you know, there's a hell. I don't want to hear that kind of preaching. I want to be affirmed. I want to have the affirmation. That's the modern day easy believism in gospel. Now, it's not a gospel, it's a gospel, but it's not a gospel. <laughs> I, listen, you can go, you can listen to preachers' kids make YouTube videos about this. I've got a very good friend of mine, went to a reformed seminary, has become a spiritual yoga guru, healing spiritual trauma. When he says spiritual trauma, he's talking about reformed faith. You know, those that have sat under the preaching of a sovereign God. Those that have set up under the preaching of a God that has ordained a day of judgment, let me help you heal yourself. Brothers and sisters, this is common. The world in this apostasy, if you will, right? And it's in the church. It's in the church. The church children are leaving going, oh my goodness, I just felt so bad. Why? Because they're like the rich young ruler. They keep denying Jesus and they want to feel good about themselves and you can't deny Jesus and feel good about it. You can't walk away from Christ and expect to have flowers and sunshine. Joy, Everlasting is reserved for those that turn to Jesus and confess their sins and Jesus wraps them up in his everlasting arms and he calls them his children and sheep and he cares for them as the chief shepherd. 
And he says, oh, I will take you. I will make sure. I will bring you to eternity. And I'm going to present you before my father as my son and daughter. I'm going to make you complete so that when you stand before God, you hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what you walk away from. Well, brothers and sisters, God is sovereign. He made this world. Why should he apologize for being God so that you can feel good about being you? And that's what people are wanting. They want God to apologize for being God, but they don't want to apologize for being them. Oh, no, you're to accept them the way they are. We have, listen, and I know this may sound like a, you know, um, it's not applicable, but it is. Have you ever lived in a day where people are pulling guns and knives because their french fries are cold? But that's the day we're living in. How dare you serve me? Cold french fries. How dare you tell me I can't stand here. These are the people that are telling God he can't be God. But no one can tell them that they can't be them. The hypocrisy is astounding. Brothers and sisters, the rich young ruler is responsible for his spiritual darkness. He's responsible for his sorrow and sadness. Why? Because he had created for himself this expectation of what this encounter was going to be like and it did not happen, sending him into a downward spiral and then rejecting the very thing that Jesus told him to do in order for him to have treasure in heaven. It's his fault. He did this. And he is failing to take responsibility for his own sin and idolatry. Now, I don't want to pick on the young people, but I want to talk to the young people. God's not convenient. It's going to cost you something. Okay? God's not at your beck and call. You rise up, meet him, follow him. He's not following you. You know, we're all about followers today, right? How many followers you got? I don't know how many followers I got. God's not your follower. You are his follower. You want that joy that everlasting joy, you want heaven. All those things come together. You want Jesus to be the vine and you want to be the fruitful branches, follow him. Well, let me say, and I've sort of already run into the other portion of my outline of the remedy, right? 
We've been talking about, we've solved the cause, but we've also addressed the remedy. And the remedy is what? Accept what Jesus says about you. Accept it. Yeah, but I don't think I'm that bad. If, if, if Jesus says you're that bad, you're that bad. That's okay. He came to save sinners. We're sinners. We're, we're sinners, beloved. We think, oh my goodness, if we could just expose our minds upon these walls, we would all just fall into the floor, hiding our face in shame. That's who Jesus came to save. The remedy, beloved, is accepting what Jesus says about you. Repent of your idolatry. Believe me, you're an idolater before we still struggle with idolatry. We have to die to these idols every day. But more so before coming to Christ, we have to recognize our idolatry. We have to repent of it. And then we need to act in accordance with that repentance. It's not just something we say. We have to act out that repentance and turn from that idolatry and turn to Christ and follow him at whatever cost it is. Let me just give you an example. I'm just thinking about this. I mean, even in Corinthians, as I've been, you know, preparing to preach a thousand sermons on the book of Corinthians, what does Paul say to the married people at Corinth? He says, look, and if your spouse wishes to leave because of Christ, let them go. That's a cost. We don't like to talk like that. But that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, look, if they want to stay and they can remain under this type of headship, by all means, let them do so. But if they want to leave because of your faith, because of your God, let them go. Let them go. At all costs, beloved, follow Jesus. Young follow Jesus. Young people, follow Jesus. Old people, follow Jesus. Because that's part of storing up treasure in heaven. Listen, by the time, by the time they are through with us, None of us will probably have anything on earth. But we can store up treasure in heaven. We can store up treasure in heaven by taking these steps that Jesus gave to the rich young ruler and making them our steps. And we can secure for ourselves the kingdom of God and the joy that comes with that. Yes, we will battle here and there bouts with depression, but we know in whom we have believed and we know that our God has us and he is going to keep his promises to us. And even when I don't feel like it, you know what? I don't have to feel like it for it to be true. Amen? 
You don't have to feel like it. God is faithful. He's he's a promise keeper. And he will bring you to that everlasting fruit that you so eagerly seek in Christ. So beloved, worldly sorrow, its causes, its cause and remedy, you see its cause. I think it's the answer to so much that's going on around us. When they deny Jesus, when they deny these things, when they're confronted with the the preacher. And most of these people growing up in church, they've denied these things, and yet they think that they're going to just live out a a, a wonderful life. They can't. Because you can't reject the God of glory and his son, and it be okay. May the Lord bless this lesson to each and every one of us. Let's pray. And Father, we know this darkness that the unsaved live in is real. We know, Father, that when they even encounter you and deny and reject you. Lord, that sadness is real. It's true. Father, if there's anyone in our immediate context like this, let us help them. Lord, give us the grace, the patience. Lord, let us go and be a voice to them, an arrow pointing to Christ. And Father, I pray for the believers here this morning, those that have repented of their idolatry, those that have died to self and those that are following after Christ. Lord, help us to understand what we have in heaven. Right now, we have treasure in heaven. That's what Jesus told the rich young ruler. Do these things and you will have it. It'll be there. It's deposited. And Lord, confirm and affirm to us that there has been a deposit made on our behalf in Christ that's ours that's never going to go away moth and rust and thieves cannot break in and steal that treasure so father let the reality of our walking with Jesus shine forth in our demeanor in our expressions in our conversations Lord and what we're about Lord, in this life. And when we find ourselves tussling with depression, Lord, let us overcome it quickly so that it doesn't, Lord, cause us to stumble and to fall. Lord, I ask all of this in this precious and strong name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, amen.